Well, welcome to this week's episode of The Space In Between, called Got A Hit, Now Need A Group. I'm your host, Blake Melnick, with another moment in time from Tom Locke's great new book of the same name. The term bubblegum music was claimed by producers Jerry Cassinets and Jeffrey Katz. They claimed it stemmed from their business discussions about their target audience, teenagers. It was a genre of music that appeared on the Billboard charts in the late 60s and 70s. The defining characteristics were simple guitar chords, repetitive sing-along choruses, upbeat lyrics, and dance-oriented melodies. They also tended to have an underlying romantic tone. According to an early 1969 article in Cashbox, a Welsh newspaper called Mining News had mentioned the hard rock music of a group of coal miners who would dig by day and play rock and roll by night. The story goes that a London England club owner rushed to Wales and descended 18,000 feet beneath the surface to sign the group. Quite a story, especially since the cash box article was a complete fabrication, a publicity stunt, and one that came to pass after a group of American studio musicians got together in March of 1969 to produce what turned out to be a hit record, a one-hit wonder. With Robert Spencer, former member of the R&B group The Cadillacs, singing lead, and Joey Levine of Ohio Express and Reunion fame on backup vocals, the song reached number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 and was popular at clubs and parties throughout the U.S. and Canada. A touring group was later formed to meet the demand for public appearances. These bubblegum and coal miners were known as Crazy Elephant, a group that brought teenagers to their feet with the hard-driving beat of Gimme Gimme Good Lovin'. Let's scan the code in Tom's book and give it a listen.
That was Gimme Gimme Good Lovin' by Crazy Elephant. Sounds a lot like the intro to Money Money by Billy Idol. This concludes this week's episode of The Space In Between called Gotta Hit, Need A Group from Tom Locke's interactive musical extravaganza called Moments In Time. And if you haven't had a chance to check out my two-part interview with Tom called Music Man, there are links provided in this week's show notes. And if you're interested in purchasing a limited signed copy of Tom's book, you can find the link on our show Facebook page for what it's worth, the podcast series. We're going to shift directions a bit as we move to wind down season three of the show. In 2021, we were all made aware of the discovery of mass graves at the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. The discovery was made possible through the use of advanced ground radar technology. An estimated 215 remains of children were discovered. The discovery prompted global shock and outrage, and much of this anger was directed at the federal government and the Catholic Church, who the public felt were complicit in hiding the truth about residential schools. On Friday, April 1, 2022, the Pope made a historic public apology acknowledging the role of the church and the atrocities which occurred at the residential schools. I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry, Pope Francis said, and I join my brothers, the Canadian bishops, in asking for your pardon. Many First Nations leaders and survivors of the residential school system felt uplifted by the apology. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, president of the B.C. Indian Chiefs, stated that Friday's events made it a great day for all Canadians. Saying all the issues of anger, guilt, resentment and shame now have a chance to be dealt with through the apology and forgiveness. Today is a day for celebration, Philip said. I think that the apology and what that represents is an opportunity for all Canadians to begin to know and understand we are truly family. We are in this together and we need to lift each other up hold each other up, and create a better future for our children and grandchildren. However, many survivors said the apology didn't go far enough and must be followed by action to help intergenerational survivors of the residential school system. The Truth and Reconciliation Committee was established in 2008 and ran until 2015. It was organized by the parties of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. Their mandate was to inform all Canadians about what happened in residential schools. The Truth and Reconciliation Committee documented the truth of survivors, their families, communities, and anyone personally affected by the residential school experience. The Truth and Reconciliation approach is a form of restorative justice. Restorative justice aims to heal relationships between offenders, victims, and the community in which an offense takes place. But what does this all mean? What concrete steps do we take as individuals and as a nation? It is common for us all to hear in advance of every public event the acknowledgement that we sit on unceded land of First Nations. Is this acknowledgement enough? How do we begin the healing process within the First Nations communities themselves? We can't change the past, but we can help shape the future. 
As someone who has devoted his career to education and knowledge, I was particularly taken by the following part of Pope Francis's address to the First Nation leaders. First, you care for the land, which you see not as a resource to be exploited, but as a gift of heaven. For you, the land preserves the memory of your ancestors who rest there. It is a vital setting, making it possible to see each individual's life as part of a greater web of relationships. With the Creator, with the human community, with all living species, and with the earth, our common home. All this leads you to seek interior and exterior harmony, to show great love for the family, and to possess a lively sense of community. Then, too, there are the particular riches of your languages, your cultures, your traditions, and your forms of art. These represent a patrimony that belongs not only to you, but to all of humanity. For they are expressions of our common humanity. Pope Francis is recognizing the value and importance of community, achieved through the preservation and transfer of knowledge and know-how that's captured within cultural rituals, stories, theater, music, natural health remedies, food, and conversation with elders. My next guest on For What It's Worth is a member of the Micmac Band. His recent desire to probe more deeply into his indigenous heritage has resulted in a remarkable personal journey of self-discovery, healing, and the desire for praxis. To make tacit knowledge explicit through action, to begin the healing process and foster regeneration amongst First Nation communities across this country. We work with a word called praxis. Praxis goes beyond practice. Like you can practice on your guitar and then put the guitar down and then that's as far as it'll ever go. Or you can write in your book and the book stays on the shelf and it doesn't go any further. Whereas praxis is when we practice for the point of performance or writing for the purpose of publishing. So there's got to be some sort of end result of this work. We go into communities, we pull together a collective creation, and then we present that collective creation to the community. And it doesn't end there. Well, then we just take that collective creation, this story, this multimedia story, and we perform it down the road to a neighboring community and then to their neighboring community. And then those communities are, wow, is that what you do with the senior youth and young adults? Can you do that with ours? We have a story to tell. And then we create these exchanges between communities. So it really is story central and community building through the expression of different art forms. Join us for truth, regeneration, and indigenous ways of knowing on the next episode of For What It's Worth.